Hey, hey, it's Neville Medora here with some swipes for you. That's a swipe, wisdom, interesting picture, essay, and a sketch. Let's get started. So I'm not going to bore you with this on the podcast version of this because it's all visual. But over here, I go over some clever ways to turn boring data and stats into easy visuals. So we have this battery chart that says which batteries last the longest. And instead of a standard bar chart, it takes like a Duracell battery and stretches it out. And then it takes Kirkland, the Costco brand, and stretches it out. And it turns out Duracell and Kirkland have the highest energy density. And then fourth place is Energizer. And then it goes down from there. And then there's another one where it shows uh, the different megaton data of nuclear bombs. And instead of just a boring bar chart, it shows 10.4 megatons for the first uh, for some smaller nuclear bombs. And then it shows it as a mushroom cloud. And then the biggest one, it shows as a giant mushroom cloud. And I feel like this gives a bigger impact than just showing data. If this was just a bar chart, you wouldn't think about it. But because it's nuclear explosions, it shows a mushroom cloud, which is like, you know, kind of scary looking. And it really hits. And this one gets even more intense. Instead of using words and data to describe the lethality of different drugs, these vials, each there's three different vials of heroin, fentanyl, and carfentanil. And it shows these different drugs in the lethal overdose amount for each. And so for heroin, there's like a small, I don't know, half teaspoon in the vial. And it's like, whoa, that can kill you. It's so small. Then fentanyl, it's like just a few pieces of dust on the ground. And that's how lethal it is. And then for this other thing called carfentanil, it's like one little crumb can kill a person. And for some reason, this just hits home so much harder than showing a typical bar chart or data and stats. So we are visual creatures. Our minds are six times likely to remember a message if it's combined with an image. So if you're trying to get a data across, uh, sometimes it's beneficial to just make an image. Actually, if you go to swipefile.com data, you can see a bunch of examples. So if you need some inspiration, swipefile.com data to check it out. Here is a piece of wisdom, and this is a neat little quote from Earl Nightingale, one of my favorite. The amount of money a person receives will always be in direct proportion to the demand for what he does, his ability to do what he does, and the difficulty of replacing him. So this is kind of a, a punch in the gut statement sometimes because you think like, whoa, whoa, how much am I worth, right? And I think this is actually a very cool and objective way to judge which career path or business to get into. So if you want to get into something with, if your objective, for example, is highest amount of salary, which is not everyone's objective, by the way, by a long shot, um, but then you have to judge what the demand for what you do, your ability to do it, and the difficulty of replacing you. Let's go through some examples. So in fact, we can make a measuring scale out of this. You take the demand for what you do, rate it from one to five, one being, you know, there's no demand, five being there's tons of demand, your ability to do it, rate from one to five, and the difficulty of replacing you. So a janitor is the typical job that's associated with low pay. And the reason is most people in the world are capable of doing the job of a janitor. So for example, if you're just cleaning up, you know, you're not going to get a lot of money because most people in the world can clean up. So if an average janitor needs to be replaced, it's, you know, it's actually very easy. So the demand for what you do is pretty high. So I'd say that's a, a three, uh, maybe even a five. Your ability to do it, let's say you're an average janitor, you're a three, and the difficulty of replacing you is perhaps one. So this job will usually be really low on the scale unless your ability to do it is somehow really high and there's something else like you work in a school and you also mentor kids. Uh, for whatever reason, like if there's some other thing that you do for this job, you could get paid more. For the most part, replacing you would be easy. However, a job like brain surgeon, if that person needs to be replaced, it's extremely difficult. And so the demand for what they do is I'd say a five because someone with a brain injury 
wants a brain surgeon and will pay literally anything on the entire planet to save their life, right? So if you're a billionaire and there's like one brain surgeon or 10 brain surgeons in the world that can do the job to save you, you would theoretically give up everything you own just to save yourself. And so your ability to do it, let's say you're an average brain surgeon, let's say you're a three, and then the difficulty of replacing you, I'd say is five. It's extremely hard to find a brain surgeon on the street. Just if you ask a bunch of people, are you a brain surgeon? They'd say no. So I would say, take a look at your uh, career or, or potential business and the demand for what you do, your ability to do it, and the difficulty of replacing you. So you can increase your demand by uh, becoming like the best person in your field or being really good at what you do or going into a field where there is a lot of demand for what you do or going into a field where there's very specialized stuff. So doctors are an interesting example of like they are licensed. They have to go through med school. So just by that, there might be people smart enough to be a doctor. They just don't have the credentials. So they typically will get paid higher because it's just not that many of them. So it's hard to replace them. Here's something interesting. Um, I've tried a lot of different organization apps, note-taking apps like Notion and Coda, and I actually really like them, but I gotta tell you, I keep winding back up on freaking Google Docs. 90% of what I love about Notion or Coda or any of those other ones is the ability to navigate to different pages quickly via a sidebar menu that doesn't have to reload each time. And Google Docs just doesn't have something like this. It has like this little menu. Everyone shows me the same thing. It has this menu that you can click within a doc. That's not what I'm talking about. I have a doc for copywriting course, and then I have a doc for my tweets, and I have a doc for my swipes, uh, and then I have a doc for SEO stuff, then I have a doc for tech things I need to do. And so in Notion, you can just click through those different docs and you're there. With Google Docs, I have to make a bookmark bar and go to each doc, and it takes a second for each one to load up, whereas Notion, it's like instantaneous. So if Google Docs were to add something like that, that would be unbelievable, and I can't be the only one on the planet liking this because I think the only thing Notion and Coda and things like that have going for them is that organizational structure that Google just does not have right now. Um, here's an interesting picture of a physical paper editing system from back in the day where there's this whole markup language of its own for editing books, paper, like in print. So, you know, like if you misspell something or you want to put a word somewhere, like here's the success, you want to put the keys to success. So you put that little indentation thing. Um, I only know two of these, the paragraph symbol, and I know that from computers, and the indentation symbol. And there's this whole other language for proofreading and stuff. And I thought that was really cool. It's just like a blast from the past from a from back in the day, how people used to edit stuff and proofread stuff. Um, and here's a little essay I wrote. It's features and benefits. So features versus benefits is a super common discussion in copywriting. People always talk about what are the features, what are the benefits? And I hate that feature and benefits are kind of like not very descriptory terms on their own. So let's break it down. A feature is something your product has. For example, water-resistant cloth. That's a feature, okay? Like water-resistant cloth on its own doesn't have any benefit to you. It just says... This product has water-resistant cloth. A benefit is the results after using your product. So for example, if we're talking about this umbrella example, the benefit would be you stay dry in the rain. And a feature of the umbrella would be water-resistant cloth. So for example, you can sell the features of an umbrella, unbreakable stems, wooden handle, water-resistant cloth, or you can sell the benefits of an umbrella, which is keeps you dry in the rain, keeps the sun off you when it's hot, that kind of thing. 
And even David Ogilvy was a big fan of selling the benefit because that's usually what you want to sell first, the benefit of why they're going to use your product. Someone's going to use your product and have this transformation into something else. So it's going to either save them time, keep them dry, organize their notes, whatever it is. That's the benefit of the product. And Ogilvy had this quote. He said, the key to success is to promise the consumer a benefit, like better flavor, whiter wash, more miles per gallon, a better complexion. So my personal advice on this features versus benefit debate, because people always ask me, should I use the features or the benefit? And my answer is use both. So I prefer trying to lead with the benefit because ultimately people are trying to get the benefit of your product, but you need to back it up with the features. So if you say this is the best umbrella in the world uh, and just end there, you're like, okay, that's fine, but I don't fully believe you. Instead, we could say this umbrella keeps you dry, keeps you cool and never breaks. So that's kind of the benefit, right? And then you say the features of it it's by backing up the benefit. You say, we do this by starting with a strong wooden handle, then use unbreakable stems to hold up the fabric and use water-resistant cloth to keep you dry. The result is the sturdiest umbrella you could buy for life. You see how both the benefits and features were used to create a strong sales pitch together? That's what I want. So then let's end off with a with the fun sketch. So I love the use of rhyme to help people remember important stuff, such as which bear to run from. <laughs> so I, I, it's kind of funny. This one hit close to home because I've done a lot of hiking. And one time we went to this place called Philmont for an Eagle Scout trip. And it was uh, it was filled with bears. It was apparently the most densely populated bear country in, in the whole entire United States. In New Mexico, this part that we were in, and we actually have to learn stuff like this because you see bears all the time. And it's this uh, image says how to survive a bear attack. If it's brown, lie down. If it's black, fight back. And what that meant is grizzly bears don't really attack things that are just like laying there dead. They kind of like, oh, it's dead, whatever. But if it's black, fight back. Meaning if you see a black bear, it's going to try to attack you and you need to fight back and be really loud and like ah, aggressive, right? So I thought it's cool. If it's brown, lie down. If it's black, fight back. And the reason that I like this use of rhyme and this in this sketch is that if you're seeing a bear in the moment, you're like, oh my God, there's a bear. You don't want to have to remember something. Whereas if you remember this rhyme, it could literally save your life. It's like life-saving copy technically. So uh, I did also find out a fun little fact from when I posted this on Twitter is that polar bears are by far the most dangerous bear. Uh, people were sharing rhymes like, if they're polars, they'll soon be spitting out your molars. Or if it's a polar, you can't control her. <laughs> Apparently, polar bears are by far, even more so than grizzly bears, the most, or sorry, black bears, the most uh, intense. So kind of kind of interesting. So if you take away one thing from this email, it is that my name is Nelv Medora. It's Friday. And don't play with polar bears. Also, we're doing a Black Friday sale pretty soon. So if you want to join the copywriting course, watch out for that during Black Friday. And get ready because it's like a it's a it's a it's a pretty good, damn good deal. If you've been waiting to join the copywriting course, it's gonna be by far the best time of the year to join, and that's gonna be around Black Friday. So if you want to talk to me, by the way, I do these customer calls and you're listening to this, reply to this email saying I wanna chat and we'll send you a scheduling link. And every Wednesday and Friday we do the customer calls, or even if you're not a customer, just wanna to talk to people on this email list. So talk to you later. My name is Nelvin Medora. Have a great day.